Welcome to our podcast from the ground up, where we interview startup founders exploring their journeys, their success, challenges, and lessons learned. We hope you'll be inspired in discovering what it takes to build a thriving startup. I'm your host, Jake Aaron Villarreal. Excited to have with us today, Ryan Austin, founder of Cognota, who has raised $11 million in funding. Ryan, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Great. So Ryan is CEO of Cognota. He champions corporate learning with over 10 years of experience. Cognota's innovative tech has won multiple Brandon Hall Awards. Ryan also co-founded GoFish Cam and Stack and Sprout and is an active angel investor and mentor. He studied at York and Western University in Canada and is located in Canada. So great. So uh, Ryan, before we dive in here, um, Walk us through a little bit about your journey. How did you get into technology and building technology companies? Yeah, so, you know, I, I've always been an entrepreneur since I was a kid. So it's kind of that typical story. Parents are like, you have to get a job, you know, summer job all the way back in high school days. And you're like, eh, I don't want to do that. I'm going to create a mobile car detailing company or going to go and you know, cut our neighbor's lawn or, or whatever. And you, you kind of get your taste fr from there. Um, my first tech company was in university. Um, I started doing drop shipping before drop sh shipping was really a thing. And uh, I, I had no tech at the time. Um, and I was also um, drop shipping inventory to my campus room. Um, and so I turned my, my dorm room into a competitor to the uh, university shop and I got in a little <laughs> bit of trouble and they're like, you can't do that. You have to get rid of all this stuff. You can't have a store in, in your dorm room. And, uh, and so uh, I created my first platform and I just brought everything online. And it was, it was pretty cool because started off as pure, you know, order stuff, I'll drop ship it to you. Um, then I, you know, other students were asking me like, how can they get involved? How they, how can they make money? So what I started to do is created white labeled e-commerce. Um, so I would clone the store that I created for myself and allow a student to rebrand it with their own logo and colors. And I would place all the inventory on their store and we do a profit share if they generated sales from their store. So I started having a lot of these, um, you know, but it was also my, my first uh, failure because, um, you know, I, I'm a go-to-market expert. I, I build technology companies, but I'm not a technologist. You learn over time, like what to do and what not to do. And at the time, that was my first one. So I just partnered with these guys that uh, were supposed to be the kind of the tech partners to help me scale this. And they ended up being crooks and uh, it got messy. And oh, yeah, uh, yeah kind of lost all my savings, had to go through my first lawsuit to uh, try and win the savings back. And it, it, it's funny because it kind of led to what I do today in, in a way. Um, so during that whole period, I had to get a job just to survive. Um, so I came into a company to build some sales teams and long story short, um, saw that their, that company's competitors did corporate training and they didn't. And so I pitched the board like, hey, let me build this, this new revenue stream inside your company uh, around corporate training. And so that's how I fell into corporate training, um, you know, a long time ago. And, and then since then did different endeavors outside of corporate training and then also one that led to Cognota. 
Yeah, I mean, corporate training is, I know, such a need for a lot of companies. Um, for people that don't know about corporate training, how big is that market in terms of the spend of companies that are spending money? For example, you know, you spend money on marketing, <clears throat> on education, on learning, on a lot of different things in companies. How big of a market share is that within a company when they spend? Yeah, so corporate learning and development globally is a $320 billion market. And um, that's for a corporate learning spend. And if to put it in perspective, it's about a hundred billion dollars more than what marketing teams spend on advertising every year. Um, and, and that, that was how we started to form our thesis over time. It, it reminded me, you know, after jumping into corporate learning, I started to see trends of how these teams were cost centers and then they became more strategic. They don't, they still today aren't the best to operationalize their business function. It's really hard for them to demonstrate ROI kind of reminded me of marketing back in the day when CFOs, you know, had heartburn because it was hard to show return of ad spend and uh, no real good way to track that until these purpose built operating systems came to market like HubSpot, Marketo, et cetera, that make that easier for these marketing leaders. And uh, that was the opportunity we saw um, and what we're solving at Cognota as well. I want to walk through a little bit about what you talked about learning and development or education. So I'm not an expert in this area, but I did a little research and what I gathered was learning and development often abbreviated as L and D refers to the process of acquiring knowledge, skills, and competencies, as well as enhancing ones of potential within a personal or professional context it is a broad field that encompasses various strategies, methods, and activities aimed at facilitating learning and growth in individual or groups. So, when we researched you and your company, we thought about, okay, what is it that you really do? And then we thought, okay, well, if you look at marketing, you have a platform like HubSpot, which helps you gather the operational aspects of everything you're doing in marketing from campaigns to um, a lot of other areas in marketing. You know, that's kind of one platform or CRM, for example, in sales with Salesforce. It's a really good platform. But what you're creating is it's not just a product. It's a category, really kind of how we see it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but operations around learning and development or a platform that helps you better orchestrate how you bring it into market and then be able to measure what's working, what's not working without a lot of disparate systems that you're kind of working through to, to try and get to the same result. Is that accurate? If it's not, kind of correct me here. Yeah, I know that that's exactly what we do. So we're the first purpose-built operating system for corporate learning and development teams. If you look at the, the market or the landscape today, you have hundreds of content creation platforms to create content. You have hundreds of delivery platforms. So once you have content, how do you actually deliver it to the employees? But those are all the back end kind of tools for content creation and content delivery. There has fundamentally been this big part missing for decades around operations. Um, you know, how do you make good decisions? How do you manage requests from different business partners internally, prioritize those requests, tie resources or time and money and budgets on how much are we going to spend? What's the impact this is going to have on the business? How do we measure if that's going to be effective? And all of those upfront processes are done either manually or through disparate IT tools right now. And 
So Cognota, we've built the first operating system. We call it LearnOps, the category. Um, just like, you know, in revenue, you have RevOps or development, you have DevOps. Same type of idea. What's the framework for LearnOps? How do you streamline the work processes in these upfront processes so that you can capture the data, eliminate the silos, and actually get to a place where you can measure impact on the business for the dollars and time that are being invested into these employee programs? And uh, so that that's where Cognota comes in, and you know where we can be a big, uh, a great partner for certain certain size corporations or enterprises that we work with. It sounds great. I mean, I worked at Oracle. There was a lot of trading all across, you know, the U.S. and internationally. Tell us a com some company brands that you work with that we would know about. Uh, Ernst & Young, Truist Bank, Comerica Bank, um, Sun Life Assurance. We, we work with about uh, 150 enterprises right now. That's great. I know on your website, there's a couple others, too, that um, Home Depot and a few others that you know I looked at and thought, wow. You guys are into some pretty big enterprises. So is your is your product for big enterprise type companies or is it for earlier stage companies too? What's what's the fit? Yeah, for us, we're we're more focused around mid market and enterprise, kind of that thousand employee company plus. And the bigger the better, because the bigger the enterprise, the more disparate or decentralized learning and development teams are. Meaning. There's multiple learning and development teams across the enterprise, not just one. Pockets across the company globally, and their job is to partner with different business units so that they can solve problems for those business units whenever those business units think that training can solve the problem. And so our software manages that whole partnership process from business partners or stakeholders to the various L&D teams and then helps them collaborate through the life cycle to the point where they get to, you know, content creation, and then they can go and use all those different tools or, or whatnot. Um, and so it's really interesting because, you know, it's very esoteric. You would never know that this is a big problem to solve unless you can't come from the industry. But when you think about how much money is being spent on these programs, it's, it's pretty significant. I mean, Slack, just announced in the news the other day that they're shutting the company down for an entire week because the company's behind on training. So they're trying to use that week to catch people up. Most likely it's something to do with compliance. They probably got fined or something like that. But having a tight learning operations will prevent things of that nature from arising. And not only can you save significant time and costs on running a tight, tighter operations and better business partnerships, but also to avoid things like, you know, what Slack just announced in the news. Yeah, I've read about that too. It's pretty crazy. Um, as a company, you raised $11 million. How long have you been around and how big are you employee-wise today? Yeah, uh, we're about 28 employees. Um, so, you know, pretty small still. Um, most of the team is on the uh, product management engineering side, and we're starting to scale up the uh, go-to-market engine um, now that you know we're we're ready to scale enterprise adoption. Um, the last round we just announced, literally a few days ago, our Series A, led by GrowTech Ventures, that was five and a half um, million dollar round um, for the Series A. And we've been around for a few years, but, um, you know, 
we only launched our first product feature at the end of 2018, early 2019. So it took a few years to get to a point where the platform reached maturity, that it was ready for enterprise and could actually solve workflow challenges for these larger corporate L&D teams. As a, as a startup yourself, as you're looking to navigate and, and build your product awareness and get into markets and scale, what's the number one focus for your company today? When you wake up every morning, what is it you're thinking about or worrying about that you need to improve? Oh, it's tough because when you're building a category, nobody's built learn-offs before. We're, we're the first. I mean, if you Google it, you'll just come across Cognota literally. And... Um, and so it's really early days for this market. And so one of um, one of the things that I've been very focused on is building strong IP moats um, to help us maintain a market leader position. There's a lot of category leader horror stories that you hear about that they build these up. And then these bigger technology companies with deeper pockets come in with the know-how and, and you know, they're able to to quickly scoop up some market share in that regard. So, you know, outside of building the best software and having IP associated to it, we've been thinking about um, the go-to-market motion. Um, what works the best for LearnOps and how do we plant competitive advantages in the actual go-to-market motion that will make it really, really hard for somebody to come in they would have to kind of reinvent their own go-to-market motion. Um, you know, we've partnered with subject matter experts. We have exclusivity agreements with those subject matter experts. So if a competitor comes in, you know, they may not be able to work with that CLO if it comes down to learning operations, for example. Um, or, uh, you know, we launched the first LearnOps community on LearnOps.com. Well, if you're an L&D professional, you're probably not going to join two learning operations communities. And we also have that first mover's advantage at doing these things really well. It creates more work than if you weren't creating a category. You know, you could do your typical inbound, outbound, and stay focused there. But it becomes a little more expensive, a little more time-consuming to build go-to-market motions around a new category. Because you're literally not only building the software, but leading the way for the overall ecosystem of that category as well. That uh, sounds like double work, but also double opportunity. If you can create it and you build it the right way, um, you will own that market if you do it right, which I think is a, an incredible opportunity. You're the first company we've had on the show that actually is building a category, not just a company, which um, I'm really excited to see how things go down the road for you as you continue to progress. Is your market focused on North America or are you international? Yeah, so right now we really focus on North America. We do have some customers in Europe as well, but our, our primary focus is North America, given that it's the uh, largest market for us. Um, that said, uh, you know, at the end of this year and going into next year, you'll, you'll start to see us expand more into European markets as well. Sounds like, like makes sense. Um, you know, the AI is such a big topic in today's world and, you know, ChatGPT brought it all to the awareness of consumers and you know, everyone. What What's your process strategy or integration with AI, if it happens? Yeah, so the, the cool part about operations is that there's a lot of input um, in data collection. And so you can do a lot of things in that regard. 
Um, we have a feature that we built called Sidekick um, that is an add-on um, to a user license. And, you know, our, our value prop is strong in either use case. Uh, you know, on one side without AI, it's get rid of three to eight disparate key tools to do your work move into one platform that's purpose-built and will streamline your entire process, give you access to data so you can make better business decisions and, and demonstrate input on the business. With Sidekick, which is a $500 add-on per user per license per annum, um, it's a panel that is just an AI assistant that sits on top of the entire application. So if you don't wanna manually generate a report using our insights feature, you can just ask Sidekick, give me a report on this, or, you know, what are the top 10 requests that my entire company had over in H1, right? To pull these insights from the underlining data really, really quickly. Makes sense. That's really cool. Wow. So AI is essentially integrated pretty well into your product. As you build your company, and for a lot of companies out that are building, you know, culture is important. The employees you hire are important. Um, what are non-starters for you when you bring people on board to be part of your company as you build in terms of their core competencies, their values? What are the things that are important to you? If people are outside listening and you know, at some point want to connect, maybe even work for your company. What are you looking for? Yeah, so we, we have a set of values um, with some of the most important ones being um, breaking down the walls. So looking at every relationship as a partnership and it needs to be transparent and open communicative. Like, I, I, I'm not interested in building a politically driven company like top down. It just takes the fun out of it. Not not for me. Uh, sometimes I'm probably like too transparent with employees, but I think that's a good thing. And I'd rather them be the same way with us um, as well. So making sure that I have strong belief and certainty that, um, you know, this is going to be a partnership uh, and um, we're going to be able to have that level of transparency. So, you know, do I trust you after I meet you, after I meet the team? Like, am I buying your story? Do I trust you? Um, and, and vice versa. We also have a value embrace uncertainty, which is really, really hard to do. It's a, a skill that's really hard to learn as a human being, because as humans, you want to control everything. And, you know, when things aren't going your way, which it always happens in life, um, and you try and control it, you, you, that's when anxiety and stress starts to come up. So... I like to ask people about situations where they've had to embrace uncertainty, where they forced and like, what, what did they learn from that? Because in a fast growing startup, especially technology, you're always going to be dealing with uncertainty. There's always going to be something that comes up and, and whatnot. And, and, and then just really ensuring that they, they are joining us because they believe in the mission, in our vision. They're excited to be a part of that and that their va overall values align to ours. That's one. Um, I don't really care about school or credentials. Like I, I did go to university, but I actually ended up dropping out. And so, I, you know, I can't be a hypocrite and just judge people on that because, you know, that, that didn't work for me in, a, in, a, in an all right position. 
without that. Um, although it might be fun one day to go back and just do it. Uh, so it's really about life's experiences. Like I really like to understand people's journeys and what they've gone through and how they've, you know, fought the good fight of life to, you know, come out better every time and like how they've taken learning and applied it to their journeys. And I, I think that's important because you can teach skills, um, but, uh, you know, you can't really teach grit and how to be persistent. Yeah, that's very true. You know, every company really is in the people business, you know, without the people you really, I mean, you might have an idea with the product, but if you've got the wrong team, it just doesn't scale, it doesn't work well. Um, when you started your company and started creating this category, did you start in one path and have to pivot to where you're at today? And if you did, kind of walk us through that process of what was that breakthrough moment where you said, we got to make a change or we're on the right track. We don't have to make a change, but we got to do something different. Walk through that a little bit because we know most companies, they go through that and some succeed, yeah. some don't. And it's a, it's a process. Well, I'll, I'll highlight the words grit and persistency again, because um, if you really go back to how Cognota was founded, um, we didn't start as a software company. Uh, a long time ago, prior to having any software, I, I started a service training services company. And, you know, we built it up to being about a $2 million uh, revenue business. Um, wasn't annual recurring because it wasn't software. And we primarily served oil and gas and energy customers. And then back in uh, teen, the energy industry just took a huge hit. And we went from like 2 million, probably down to like 20 or 30 K in like less than one week. It sucked. Mm, wow. And, and so I, I was forced <laughs> to kind of pivot um, during that. And, and while running that company, I had this idea of operating system and L and D, like why does not exist or whatnot? So I'm glad that that happened because it pushed me out of the comfort zone to, to really focus on like pivoting and um, using my know-how to, to go and build the business. And that's when I started getting into software. And, uh, and we first, or for our, the first workflow that we ever worked on was how do you, how do you take knowledge from an employee and transfer it into learning content? So you can teach others what that person knows. And, you know, in corporate L and D, that process is called instructional design. It's pr pretty cumbersome and like very old fashioned. So our, the first feature we built was around that content design process. And we try to make it like TurboTax, but for content design so that anybody can do it. Like take this cumbersome complex process that literally has something called adult learning theory, um, very boring, uh, associated to it. It's like the science behind how people learn and how do you build workflows that people can follow um, without being that expert around adult learning theory to build good quality content. Um, so we did that and um, landed some pretty big customers early on, but you know, we weren't going to build a very big business with just being a single feature tool. And that's when we had to make a decision. Um, do we go into the content creation side of the market where it's a little busy um, or we, this inkling around, well, what if we went to the operation side, which is very manual, nobody's doing that. And, you know, um, luckily we, we chose the harder path, but call that pivot number two, even though it was more of a 
maturing our, our product, listening to the market, it still went from being this knowledge transfer tool to trying to become this end-to-end learn ops platform, essentially. And uh, so we went for it without knowing anything. And we listened to the market and we got to a place where we realized we had to rewrite the entire product because it wouldn't scale at enterprise. You know, that comment I made earlier on about being how a lot, the bigger the company, which is where the big bucks lie for us, the more L&D teams that are decentralized and they're Mm. planted all over the place. And the product that we ended up building could only work with centralized L&D teams, essentially one L&D team. There was no way to have multiple teams. It was single tenant instead of multi-tenant. There's a lot of back-end problems that would just prevent us from scaling. So that's when we leveled up and I brought in our head of product who came from a company called Allocadia, which was in marketing operations. And um, there's a lot of synergy behind marketing operations and learning operations. So he came in and built a team and helped me um, really built an enterprise and we launched that in 22 and really started to scale the business from there. Really cool. It's all, you know, you brought in the right person that could help you scale. Sounds like you are very partner driven with your own employees, which I think is great. When there's tough times in the markets, like there is today for many companies, when you have funding, it's not as tough because the money's there to kind of continue to build and grow. But at the end of the day, investors do want to see like, where's my investment going? Uh, how far are we to getting the profitability? We're not necessarily looking only at growth. We want to actually see some tangible results. For you, um, when you go out and you get these big companies, who's out there selling and are you doing it online? Is it a team? Are you getting appointments? Are you on site? Is it all remote? What's that look like for you? Yeah, so during COVID, we became a remote company and we haven't gone back. You know, I think it'll be more disruptive to try and go back than just to stay course. Um, there's downsides, like we need to do more in-person team events and things like that. That becomes harder. Built programs recently to, to help support that. Naturally, also, sales teams um, becomes harder to stay motivated as sales teams when you're remote. So we, we've acquired certain technology to create these virtual um these virtual call rooms where people can call together. So it almost feels like you're in an office. Uh, you know, the software we personally use is called Aurum, although there's others that, that do that. And, um, and so we do these things called power hours where the entire sales team once a day, it's like an hour stand up basically if you're at an office, come together and we do co- calling and cold calling or prospecting together kind of in the virtual rooms. Um, with the market, you know, talking about pivots, um, as the market shifts, like we're, we're in a really weird time. So as the market shifts, you have to pivot your go-to-market strategy. Um, you know, if you just look back to January, when things started slowing down for SaaS, everybody was like, oh, wow, outbound's working again. And everybody started to cold call and it worked. But, you know, Buyers get exhausted when they start getting a hundred phone calls a day because every vendor starts to do this. And it's not sustainable or sustainable when things are going to shift so quickly. So would really encourage people right now to think about like what, what's your moat? What's going to become 
your advantage that's here to last. In Noda's case, we made a very calculated decision of going from more of an inbound outbound model to becoming more of a community-led growth model. So we launched or LearnOps.com community and really focused on that to really present ourselves as a trusted thought leader in the industry to help people think through their learning operation challenges first, no software, put ourselves in a position where they trust and learn from us. And then when they realize, well, how do we do this easier? We're using disparate tools. Then at that point we say, hey, there's software available to do that. And we can actually do a demo with you and show you that. And so that's been working really, really well um, for us. And now we're extending the program into partner marketing, education, actually. We're, we're investing in something called LearnOps Academy so that outside of software, we can educate and teach people this. And our bet is that it's going to lead us back to, soft, to, to software sales. So I think that um, uh, people need to think about what does a new, a new, this new market look like for them? And what investments can they make that will be long-standing versus short-sighted? Um, it might feel like a heavier investment because everybody feels like, hey, we need revenue right now. You're going to position yourself to be in a much stronger position in these downturns if you, you get it right. From the investor side, which was the other part of your question, I think taking money makes it harder on your business. Uh, you know, there's downsides and upsides to both. If you have the luxury of bootstrapping or you've been forced to bootstrap right now, go for it. Like you, you'll thank yourself later for going through the short-term pain versus, you know, having to split the profits down the line with, uh, with VCs or, or whatnot. Um, if you can't do it, then yeah, you know, ra raise some capital if you can. You need to be efficient with the capital. Don't raise money if you don't know what to do with it especially right now, you'll just burn through it and you won't build enough value to get to the next level. And essentially you're just slowly killing your company, you know, and investing time into something that might not be working. So you, you got to figure it out. And that's again, where embracing uncertainty comes into place, having that grit, being persistent. And there's no, you know, there's no one right way to, to building a startup at the end of the day. You have to find that formula that works for you. I, I really like the strategy you have where it's not just one size fits all when it comes to sales. You have two or three different areas you're building up. Eventually, it will build, lead back to revenue if you do it right with the trusted advisor type mindset. Um, that's really, it's really inspirational. And hopefully, other companies will get that note and take that lesson to heart and figure out how to do that too. Um, with your company and your employees, when times are tough and you are having to, really think about the grit that you have and the people that are helping you build what you're building. What do you do to keep the morale up when there's the up and downs of the company? As the leader, you've got to bring energy. You have to bring a different perspective sometimes when you're going through the troughs of the ups and downs of a company. What tools, what do you do to keep yourself up? Okay. So as CEO, it's always lonely at the top, even going through the fundraise. Like I have this long kitchen counter like next to the desk right now, there was times where I was like lying on there, like, oh man, <laughs> like, are, are we going to be able to do this? Right. And that's, that's fine. But you have to r literally like reach deep into your soul 
and like find <laughs> any ounce of energy that you have and just like almost trick your mind to getting that extra energy to keep going and not giving up. It's 90% hard work and 10% luck. And if you actually put that 90% work and you don't give up, you get to see the, te- the magic happen, which is that 10%. I've seen it in every business I've invested into that I've built. Um, and it, it really is magic. It's unexplainable when that 10% luck kicks in. Um, you know, that said, you need to listen to the market and look for signals. Uh, if you're not seeing any signals, don't invest time into something that's not working. Like go to the next venture, go and build the next thing. You, you don't get time back. And, but if you're hearing signals, you know, you just need to, to ask yourself, are you okay putting in the time? Cause it's going to take way longer than you ever thought it would. And from a people morale perspective, you're, if you're seeing signals coming from the market, especially as a startup or a growing company, you're having wins. Those wins may not be only revenue related. Those are the best ones to celebrate, obviously, um, the most rewarding, but you're going to see other wins. You know, for example, um, one of our customers got nominated uh, as a Cognota power user and it was shared all over LinkedIn. And we're like, wow, what a great idea. We should create this power user concept. But, you know, that, and, and so I shared that and a lot of people um, commented on it. But that's a win. Like, you know, having a company of yours essentially giving an award to somebody for being a power user of your platform that one did, like, you know, previously, a few years ago, didn't even exist. Like that, that's a cool feeling for everybody who's building that. So sharing those small wins with the team and then being transparent as CEO going through the fundraise, I was really transparent with the team every two weeks, telling them the updates, what's happening, what's working, what's not working, what are we hearing so that they feel part of the process and they're learning about the process as they go along. They might want to learn how do you fundraise? How do you build business? Things like that. So being transparent, ask, answering questions, you know, offering people the ability to break down the walls and slack you or call you, um, and then celebrating things as well. So we have a lot of reward programs internally. We created um, a reward point system. So anytime an employee does something um, aligned to a corporate objective or a value, and if another employee calls them out for their, their great work that they did, or people ops team, um, HR team uh, gives them reward points. And the reward points can be used uh, to buy like unique company swag that you have to earn versus just getting it given to you. And people actually like that stuff. And, you know, it's, it makes it fun. And so we have that. We recently put in a performance plan. We do salary reviews quite often um, now as well. And I think it just comes down to transparency. People want to feel like they're making an impact. They're seeing, they're seeing their work come to fruition and they understand why they're investing time every single day, what that's going to do for the company. Yeah. It's really great to hear that. You know, you talked about fundraising and, you know, keeping people in the loop and updating them on transparency, how things are going. How many times do you have to go out in today's market and present to finally close the deal? Was it five, 10, 150, 200? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think the data is that you're going to have 150 conversations before getting to term sheets. That's true. Um, you you can accelerate that process um, if so. My whole strategy for fundraising is uh, you go out the first time, you have those 150 conversations, you finally get to a term sheet, and then the people who actually said no to you that first round they become your lead investors for the second round. So it's your responsibility to keep them in the loop, give them updates, narrow down who you want to get married to as well. It's not just about taking money. It's a partnership. Most likely somebody will have a board seat. They're going to make decisions with you, your company. You want that alignment. Nobody wants to go through a messy divorce or feel like they want to get divorced this is not like a, a spousal marriage where that is a possibility, like, you know, and this is a long journey too. So, so those are those no's that come from your prior round are the best ways to accelerate the process to get to yes. Instead of having to go through and meeting 150 new people, you narrow down the 20, 30 that you're the most excited to work with and you put in the effort over the next 24 months to nurture the relationship, get them excited about the business, build trust, see you, how you handle situations like, you know, market downturns or pivots or whatnot. And uh, that makes it a lot faster to get to your, your term sheet. For our Series A, we ended up getting to five term sheets by using a, that similar strategy, even in this down market. And um ended up partnering with somebody who we built the relationship with for 14 months prior to, you know, them getting to a yes. What is it that they're looking for from you now that they've given you the money? When you walk through it all and you kind of say, here's the number one thing they want from us, what do you walk away with going, I have to remember that because I got to deliver that? Yeah, I mean, you can't have a fluff plan just to fundraise. Like if, if you come up with a model and... You, you get funding towards a plan that was made up just to get funding. Like you are, you already broke trust and you're, you're, you're going to be going in a downhill kind of battle. So you have to be realistic with your forecasts. Some VCs will say, what do you mean? I want, you know, I want that 500% growth next year. Like I'm not interested. Those aren't the right partners for you. Cause uh, you know, maybe it can happen. If it does, even better, you're going to outdo your your projections. But you don't want to promise something like that or show that, and then you're spending into a plan like that, and you, you still haven't figured out your flywheel or how to get to that level of skill yet. So you want people who are going to help you think about your real-world problems today that you're facing and how to do you together get to that next major inflection point in the business to answer your question no surprises nobody wants surprises so uh it's your job as ceo to build that transparency with the board keep them in the loop on where things are at and ensure that there's no surprises if businesses are cyclical there's going to be ups and downs and when there's downs it's more important to spend more time with your board tell them why help them explain things so that they can see how you're thinking through solving the problem or assisting you with providing guidance and help as well. Um, and um, performance, like they bought into a plan, they wanna see you execute that plan. You know, that's bottom line. Even if you're missing that 
there's a short window on that. You got to get caught up and figure it out. Yeah, performance is uh, very important as well as performance management for your current team, like letting them know that, you know, that they're doing a good job or how are you managing and tracking how they're improving what they're doing. Um, it all kind of tracks back to learning and development, which probably goes right back into your systems. So um, it's really cool. What's next for Cognota as we wrap up here? Where you, you talked a lot about where you're at, what you're doing. What's uh, What can people be excited about that are currently using your platform or might be interested in, in, in trying it? Yeah, so, um, you know, being a category leader, it's it's tough, because, especially as a startup, because when you're working with these big enterprises, because they always need more. And sometimes, um, you know, as, at the same time, you want to listen to your customers and invest into their feedback. That's how you build great software. Being category leader, Sometimes you see things in the signals in the market that allow you to be an innovator where you can create something that your customers don't yet see, but you know that they're going to need. And, and it's, a, it's a conflict between the two. So, um, you know, we're working really, really hard this year to build some additional workflows that are more around that innovation side. Like, how do you get to true ROI and impact on learning spin? Um, where some of our customers are asking us to go deeper into certain functionality. So it's a race for us to January to get all the remainder go-to-market motions built, the like the LearnOps Academy, get some of these additional workflows built, like the ROI and impact features, um, so that next year we can flip the switch to scale and say, nothing net new, let's go deep and deeper into our investments, into what we've already invested into. And, uh, and so next year, if customers are listening to this, you know, we're going to go deeper into the core product features, deeper into data and analytics and reporting, invest more into Sidekick around AI, and do a lot more measurement around time and value so that we can optimize the user experiences. Like our software is easy to use. People love it, but you can always do better. And, you know, we want to drive the wow factor when it comes to that. Yeah, I love that. Well, Ryan, uh, I want to just add a couple of things in here as you continue to scale your company. You know, as a company on our side, we work with founders. We help them scale up when they're looking to grow and whether it's locally or internationally. Um, one of the things that we keep getting a lot of is we don't need to hire right now. We need to maximize the people we have. How do we make them better? And so we ended up um, bringing in a technology that we can take teams now and with real data, which is AI driven, can see them, how they operate, how they're communicating with their customers. It tracks the points. And then you could say, here's what our top salespeople, for example, are doing really well. And here's what the other ones aren't doing. And that technology, along with insights, helps you take your current team and make them better or maybe get rid of the team that isn't doing well and improve your company growth. So there's just a lot of really interesting things that we're seeing. It's not about hiring, it's about how do you do more with what you have? And so down the road, that might be a conversation that I could, we should have, or at least I can share the insights. You could do what you want with it, but I can tell you now that, that's, that those are the messages we're getting in today's market is we need to build, we need to continue to grow and scale. We don't have all the answers, but we do have, I think, the right people. How do we make them better and truly making them better by the data, not just hoping you can get it get it right? Um, 
So anyway, really excited to see how you guys do. If people want to get a hold of you, Ryan, or they want to find your company, how do they do that? Yeah, so best way, um, if you're looking for learning operations software and you have an L&D team that's looking to be more efficient, effective, demonstrate value, especially in today's market, um, go to cognota.com, C-O-G-N-O-T-A.com. If you're an L&D professional looking to learn more about learning operations and solving problems, uh, going through that journey on where you need to uh, solve certain problems that, that might not be software related, join the community on learnops.com and uh, reach out anytime over LinkedIn uh, if you want to get in touch and just talk shop, startups or anything else. Great. Well, Ryan, big shout out to you for joining our, our show today and to all the listeners that are listening. Uh, means the world to us that you've spent your time uh, out of your busy Friday to spend it with us. Good luck in your future, Ryan. Uh, again, like I said, happy to follow up with you down the road and see how things go. Until now, this is Jake Aaron Villarreal signing off. I can't wait to connect with you all again next on the next episode. See ya. Bye-bye. Before we wrap up, I want to give a big shout out to all the entrepreneurs that have joined to make this podcast possible. And for all the listeners for listening, it means the world to me that you chose to spend your time with us today. I'm your host, Jake Aaron Villarreal, signing off for now, but can't wait to connect with you all soon on the next episode. Take care. This show is sponsored by Match Relevant, the company that helps venture-backed startups find the best people in the market, and they do it in three simple steps. First, they sit down with founders to understand their story. Second, they tell their story into multiple candidate channels. And third, they schedule interviews within 48 hours. Find us at matchrelevant.com to learn more about how we do it.